If you don't know me, my name's Martha Logan. Today we're reading um, Luke chapter 19, verse 28 through 44. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount which is called Olivet, he said to two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt, on which no one has ever sat yet. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will, will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Thank you, Martha. So I think most of you guys know that uh, last spring, Elise and I had a chance to go to Israel. And man, that was an amazing experience. It's one that I hope that I will never forget. I think one of my favorite parts about going to Israel was getting to uh, learn the geography. Now, that sounds really weird. Your favorite part of Israel was the geography. Honestly, it really, really was a huge part of it because it brought everything to life. It helped you see, oh, they went around this hill. Oh, that's what that plain was like. Oh, that's what that valley was like. And you get a chance to get your head around it. Now, as we've been uh, working through Luke 19 and, and talking about Jesus going from Jericho to Jerusalem, my, my mind has been blown by just how much I've just breezed past that journey. Yeah, he just went from, you know, he just, he just went from Jericho to Jerusalem, no biggie. So I want to go ahead and show you guys a map as to like why I think this is such a, uh, uh, we just blow straight through it. So like when we look at our Bible map, we see Jerusalem is in the brown and Jericho is kind of in the brown. And so Jesus just walked through some brown to get from Jericho to Jerusalem. Now, Jericho to Jerusalem is about 13 miles, okay? Now, 13 miles, that's not very far. That's, that's about the distance from right here to Willard High School, 
That's it. 13 miles here to Willard High School. I, I've done lots of hiking. 13 miles in a day is a lot, but it's, it's not that bad, right? So we think this is, this is it. But, but the issue is it's, it's not like walking from here to Willard High School. There's quite a bit of elevation change. So when you go to Jericho, Jericho is down at the uh, Dead Sea, right on the coast of the Dead Sea. It's 825 feet, I think, below sea level. When you leave Jericho, you have to walk uphill the whole way to Jerusalem to the top of the Mount of Olives. You end up with an elevation gain that's about half of climbing Pikes Peak. That's a significant gain that you go through. Now, okay, now, despite the fact 13 miles and, and you have an elevation gain, guys, it, even that, you can, like, read that on paper. But that's not the hard part. The hard part is the terrain. This is the starting point of the trail. So that's a monastery in, in Jericho, just right outside Jericho. If you look down through that valley and around the corner, there's the city of Jericho. That's where you start on your trip. And you see that green stuff? That's like almost the end of the green stuff. Okay, from there, you walk through, go ahead and go to the next slide. You walk through this for 13 miles. Well, it's about nine or 10 miles. When we were there in Jericho, um, which is desert. We went in June, late May, I can't remember, about five-ish weeks after the Passover season would have been, and it was 100-plus degrees in Jericho. So, so I'm sure it would have been a little cooler earlier in the spring, but we're still talking walking through that uphill, hot, dry, for nine, ten miles until uh, you get to... Jericho. Now, when you come or get to Jerusalem, now when you come through this this uh, canyon, this valley, as you're walking toward Jerusalem, you're going to come up the back of the Mount of Olives. You're going to get into Bethpage and Bethany. Then you're going to crest the Mount of Olives. That's how you come into town. And as you crest the Mount of Olives, this is your view as you come right over the top. So this picture was taken at the the top of the Mount of Olives, and you're looking across the Kidron Valley, and that wall there. Uh, is where the Temple Mount would have been. And that's the Dome of the Rock setting on uh, the, the Temple Mount, which when Jesus was there, he would have come over the top of that hill and he would have seen the temple standing there. I just love that visual. He comes in to, uh, he comes over the top of the hill after this long, hard journey. He crests the hill and there is Jerusalem. There is the temple. And the people come out and, and they're singing Hosanna and they're laying palm branches and cloaks on the road in front of them. And this is what is in his vision as he begins to walk down the mountain. And man, it's probably three, four city blocks down the mountain. You come to this next spot. And I took this picture here because it's in the courtyard of a chapel. This is the legendary place. We don't know where Jesus actually wept over Jerusalem. But this is the place that's commemorated about halfway down the Mount of Olives where Jesus wept over Jerusalem. So he's riding this donkey down the hill, and he's overwhelmed with emotion. I'm just imagining cresting the hill, seeing Jerusalem, and beginning to be overwhelmed with emotion. Overwhelmed with emotion as he comes down the hill and he stops here and he weeps for them. Now, uh, 
the, the Catholics love to build chapels anywhere something cool happened in the Bible. So that, that symbol there is uh, a sign of the Franciscan order, uh, which helped establish this uh, chapel here. Go ahead and show the chapel. This chapel is built over the uh, historical place where Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. Now, if you go inside the chapel, you see that window? And look out that window, uh, the, the, the legend has it that the architect designed, if you're standing in the center of the sanctuary and you look out through that window, that the cross is over the Dome of the Rock as a symbol of saying Christ will have victory. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I, I love that visual. I think it's really cool. That was one of my favorite pictures to take uh, in, in Israel. As I think about all of this, as I think about that journey through that, that valley, I mean, Jesus literally walked through the valley of the shadow of his own death as he came through that valley uh, from Jericho to Jerusalem. As he crested that hill and saw the temple, it would have been a reminder. Now, I, in, in my mind, I just go, Jesus went from Jericho to Jerusalem. But what I hope we see is that within that journey, there's some symbolism. There's some symbolism. Jesus is on his way to bring peace with God. But as he's coming up this long road, we see that the road to peace is a long and hard journey. And the road from Jericho to Jerusalem is a long and hard journey. But Jesus was determined. He was focused and his ministry was always pointing toward the cross. Three times in Luke, he tells us that he is headed toward the cross. Listen to Luke chapter 9, verse 20 through 22. It says, Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day raised. Now, we're in chapter 19. This is chapter 9. So early in the process, Jesus knows where he's headed. And in case they missed it, just a few verses later, in Luke chapter 9, verses 43b through 45, we have this. But while they were all marveling, at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying. And it was concealed from them so that they, so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Now from there, just a few verses later, in chapter 9, verse 51, we have this, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. So from this point forward in the book of Luke, Luke uses the language of heading toward Jerusalem as a symbol of the coming sacrifice. So now, he's, he's, he said this in chapter 9, he said he's headed toward Jerusalem, We've been in Jericho for the last couple of weeks as we've been working through chapter 19. At the end of 18, right before he goes to Jericho, we have this. 
1831. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon, and and after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So you guys can see, his face was set toward Jerusalem. His eyes were on Jerusalem. I can just imagine as Jesus was riding on that donkey as it crests the Mount of Olives and he can see the temple. He is fully aware of the sacrifice that would be required of him for us to have peace with God. He he knows the love that he feels for his people, the Jews. And yet so many people would reject him. So many people would miss the peace that he was coming to bring. When they thought about Messiah, they were looking for peace between men. They were looking for some kind of earthly kingdom here and now. But Jesus wasn't coming to bring that kind of peace. He was coming to bring peace between God and man. So today we're going to look at two realities of the mission of Jesus. Either we will experience peace with God through what Jesus brought, or we will experience the judgment that comes from missing the peace of Jesus, just like we see the city of Jerusalem miss. So let's look at this first reality of the mission of Jesus, the first reality of the mission of Jesus, and that is Jesus came to bring peace with God. Jesus came to bring peace between God and man. So Jesus had just come through the the wilderness between Jericho and Jerusalem. And like I said earlier, he had literally just walked through the, the valley of the shadow of his own death. And I just can't help but, but think that the weight of what was coming was on his shoulders. He'd already told them three times he was going to die, that he was going to be rejected, he was going to be beaten, he was going to be killed. All of this was on his shoulders. And he knows he's headed toward Jerusalem for this purpose. But he sends his disciples on ahead to, to the cities of, of either Bethpage or Bethany. And he says, hey, there's going to be a donkey there. Go, go, tie, go untie that donkey and, and bring that donkey to me, and I'm going to ride this donkey all the way into Jerusalem. And he does this as a symbol of peace and as fulfillment of prophecy. Listen to this prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. It says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, Behold, your king is coming to you. There's that word behold that Tyler told us about, right? Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak, what? Peace. To the nations. His rule shall be from sea 
to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Now, pastor and Bible commentator Thabiti Anya Weble uh, says that Jesus comes on a donkey as a symbol of peace. He could have come in on a war horse, but the war horse has been cut off, right? So he comes in bringing peace. John chapter 10, verse 18 tells us that no one takes Jesus' life from him, but that he lays it down so that he can take it up again. Now, when I think about that, as I think about this idea of, of Jesus coming to be, bring peace, but he's coming to lay his own life down, he's not going in there to wage war and lay everybody to waste. That's, that's not happening at this moment. He's coming in on a donkey as a symbol of peace. Now, I don't know about you guys, but, but sometimes I get imagery from other places that help me. And uh, the, the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, is an allegory of Jesus and what he did. So in my mind, when I think about this procession of peace, my mind goes to Aslan, Walk is, who's, a, who's a Christ figure in the story of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Edmund had broken the law and had sinned, and he deserved death. And so Aslan walks toward the stone table to be slain. He's walking not to make war, but to make peace with the law that had been broken. He voluntarily goes and gives up his life to save Edmund. And so I see that visual of Jesus coming into town, not as one looking that day to destroy his enemies, but to come in and give his life as a ransom for many, as a sacrifice of himself. He laid his life down. This is a picture of Jesus coming to make peace at his own expense. Listen to this prophecy of Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. It says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. He came in to lay his life down to offer peace with God. What we deserved, he received. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Now, all four Gospels record Jesus' triumphal entry. I'm sure the crowd yelled many wonderful things about Jesus as he made his way down the Mount of Olives. But only Luke, only Luke records this saying. So look again at Luke chapter 19, verses 37 through 38. It says... As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest. What do they say? 
They call him a blessed king. They say he comes in the name of the Lord. And with him comes peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Man, when I, when I hear this, when I think about this, you know where my mind goes? I think about Jesus in the book of Luke, headed down the hill. He just came through the valley between Jericho and Jerusalem. He climbed the Mount of Olives. Now he's going down the other side, and he's coming to bring peace. Now, uh, in, in Jerusalem, you have uh, the Mount of Olives to the north, and to the south, you have Bethlehem. And not that far from the Mount of Olives, you have the, the hill country around Bethlehem where the shepherds heard from the Lord, uh, where they, the, the, the angels made their declaration. So let's go ahead and look at that one uh, first, Nathan. Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. We have these words in the night that Jesus was born. The Messiah had come to earth and the angels declared, it says this, suddenly there, were, there was the angel, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, what? Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace among those who, with whom he is pleased. What the angels do? They said, peace on earth. The Messiah has come. And now as the Messiah is coming down the Mount of Olives, what do the people say? They say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Do you not see that interesting tie there between Jesus and him headed to Jerusalem to make the sacrifice and his coming uh, as the angels declared the glory of the, the birth of the Savior? But it wasn't just the birth of Jesus that tells us that he is coming to bring peace between God and man. There's a different Zechariah in, uh, in the New Testament. That is Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, makes a different prophecy over his son. And he says this about John the Baptist, who would be a forerunner of Jesus Christ. So Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, gives this prophecy about John the Baptist. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. And what will he do? To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of what? Peace. Part of the ministry of John the Baptist was to make way for Messiah so that as we see Messiah and believe in Messiah, we may have salvation and walk in peace with God through Jesus Christ. This is the Christmas story. This is the beginning. And this isn't even the only place. One of my favorite parts of the Christmas story is when Jesus is brought to the temple to be dedicated as the firstborn. And so Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple when he's eight days old. And as they come in, they meet a man named Simeon, who Luke says had been waiting for the consolation of Israel. And they meet a woman named Anna, who's a prophetess. And Luke says this about her. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him of all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Who was this one who was going to offer redemption to Jerusalem? This baby 
Jesus, he had come to give consolation to God's people, to bring redemption through his blood. Jesus' birth marked this age of God coming to make peace with man through faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Man, I could go on and on. Luke is constantly pointing us toward peace with God through forgiveness of sins. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 7, verse 50, when Jesus forgives the sinful woman who washed his feet, he tells her to what when she leaves? Go in peace. And when Jesus heals the woman with the bleeding disorder as he sends her on her way, you know what he says to her? Go in peace. Jesus came to bring peace between God and man. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That is the power of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Paul echoes the words of Isaiah, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. So if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if we believe that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for our sin, if we believe that when he marched into Jerusalem, he was going to pay the price for our sin in his death, if we believe that after he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead on the third day, if we trust him and call him our Lord, and if we repent of our sins, if we believe that we have been justified through Christ's blood, then we have peace with God. And church, if we have peace with God, then we have something to praise God about. Amen? We have something to rejoice about. I, I, I love this. When, when uh, Simeon and Anna see that, that Jesus had come, the Messiah had come, they were filled with excitement and they were running around the temple telling everybody about the wonderful things that had happened when Jesus came into the temple. Now look again at verse 37 of our passage today and I want you to see the kind of response that the people have as they see Jesus riding into Jerusalem. Look at verse 37. And as he was drawing near, already on his way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. What was their response to seeing all the mighty works of Jesus? What does it say? They saw the mighty works of Jesus and they rejoiced and they praised God. So, I want, to, I want you to ask yourselves, what are the mighty works that you have seen Jesus do? Think about that for a moment. What have you seen Jesus do? If you are here and you have put your faith in Jesus, then your salvation is the first and most important and most wonderful work that you have seen Jesus do. Amen? That is a mighty work. As a matter of fact, do you remember what we talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about uh, those who were, it's impossible for them to be saved, the wicked people, the worst ones? And then what do we have in the city of Jericho right before he walks up this hill to come down into Jerusalem? Who was saved? Zacchaeus. And what did we talk about when Zacchaeus was saved? 
the worst of sinners. It was a miracle. Zacchaeus' salvation was a miracle. And your salvation is every bit the miracle that Zacchaeus' salvation is as well. What are the mighty works that you have seen? What are the ways that God has shown up in your life? Your salvation is first and foremost, but how have you seen God provide? How have you seen him uh, make a way where there seemed to be no way? When they saw the mighty works of Jesus, their response was to praise his name and rejoice. No matter what goes wrong in this world, no matter what goes backwards or different than what you planned or against what you hoped for, one thing cannot be taken away, and that is our salvation through Jesus Christ. That is the one thing that we can always count on. So there is one thing, one great miracle that we can always praise the Lord for. And when I think about Jesus coming into town, he's riding on this donkey, coming in peace to lay down his own life for us. He is doing this for our salvation so that we can have peace with God. When we think about that, what should our hearts be inclined to do? Praise his name. Praise his name for what he has done. And as these people are praising the name of Jesus for the mighty works that he has done, we have a moment of disbelief. The Pharisees who reject who Jesus is say to Jesus, hey, tell your disciples to shut up. And he says, no. Because if I do, even the rocks will cry out. The rocks will cry, church, don't give your job to the rocks. Praise his name. That's what he's called us to. That's what we get to do. As we realize the joy of our salvation, we can respond in praise. He came to give us peace with God. The strife is over. By his wounds, we have been healed. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And that is a twofold blessing. First, the blessing that we have peace with God. And second, that he took the punishment that we deserved. Man, that's worth rejoicing over. And that is worth following. But the story doesn't end there. That's not the end of the story. He goes down the mountain a little further. And he stops. I'm just imagining the whole time as people are laying palm branches and coats down in front of him, Jesus is descending down the Mount of Olives. And he sees Jerusalem in front of him. And as much as he is glad to receive the praise from these people, and he tells the Pharisees, I ain't telling them to be quiet, his heart seems to be divided. On one hand, he is uh, receiving the praise from those who, who uh, are, are lifting up the, the, and rejoicing over him. But on the other, he's grieved. And this brings us to the second reality in Jesus' mission. If we reject the peace that Jesus brings, then we will receive judgment. 
If we reject the peace that Jesus brings, then we will receive judgment. That is the second reality of Christ's mission. Rejection of the peace of Jesus brings judgment. I want to step outside of Luke for a moment to read from you guys from John 3, 16 through 18. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be what? Saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is what? Condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Guys, the world is already condemned. There is no passive position here. I've said previously in the Luke study that there is no neutrality with God. The, the world was already condemned before Jesus came. He came to bring peace. John chapter 14, verse 27 says, Peace I leave you, but it also says what? Not peace as the world gives. His peace is different. Luke chapter 12 says that he did not come uh, to bring peace but division. And when he says that, he's talking about he's not coming to bring peace between men. He's not coming to, to settle all battles here, but he is coming, as we see through the rest of Luke, to bring peace with God. And yet these people were more concerned with peace between men. They were looking for peace against Rome. They were looking for victory over Rome. And when Messiah was coming to bring peace with God, they rejected that kind of peace because they would rather have peace with man than peace with God. And peace with man is not what we're looking for. Any peace that we can have with man only comes under peace with God. Listen to what he says as he comes down the Mount of Olives and weeps over Jerusalem. It says this in verses 41 through 44. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. <sighs> they miss it. They are looking for the wrong thing. Would that you have known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Why does Jesus weep over Jerusalem? He says, would that you have known. He wanted his people to see the truth of who he was and what he came to do. But the Pharisees rejected him to the point that they told the, the, the crowd around him to be quiet. But they weren't alone. So many in Jerusalem would reject him. Just like he said would happen. Remember, he said he must be rejected by the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers. 
and be killed. He said that this was going to happen. And he gets there on the side of the Mount of Olives, and he's overwhelmed, thinking they have missed it. Earlier in Luke chapter 13, Jesus says this about Jerusalem. These are the words of Jesus. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he's going to be crucified. They, they stone those who were sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what were the people crying as he came down the mountain? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He, he wanted to gather them to him. And they said, no thank you. He came to offer peace and protection in him from the wrath of God and judgment. The world was condemned already. He was sent into the world to save the world. That all those who believe would have eternal life under his wings, in his protection. And they had rejected it. They said, not for us. And so, God sent his judgment on Jerusalem. So I was thinking about the Dome of the Rock standing on the Temple Mount. The, the Temple Mount is was empty, was, was leveled. Why? Because of judgment. The only reason the Dome of the Rock can even stand there is because God passed judgment on his people, saying, you did not heed my warnings. You have not trusted in the way of salvation that he sent through Jesus Christ. And Jesus wept over the city because they would not be gathered. He wept because he loved them. Would that they would have known the things that make for peace. But they do not. So they will not have peace. They will wage war against God. But God does not lose wars. And so not a stone of Jerusalem was left on top of another. Guys, my, my mind just, I don't know why, but it, it went to Deuteronomy chapter 32. When, when Moses addresses the people before his death. And in the coming weeks, they're going to be standing outside of, guess what city? Jer Jericho. They're going to be standing outside of Jericho on their way into the promised land. But this is some of the last words of Moses to the people in the Old Testament long before Jesus in Deuteronomy chapter 32, it says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, 
but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are, that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. As Jesus crosses over the, the Mount of Olives and rides into Jerusalem on his donkey of peace, and he comes into the town bringing himself as a willing sacrifice, we see two sets of people. We see the Pharisees and the citizens of Jerusalem who reject Jesus, and we see those who declare, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. We see those who choose life, and we see those who choose death. To reject Jesus and the peace that he brings is to choose death. The hour of visitation, it says, is at hand. It, 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 his, his first coming had happened. It is now. Now is the time to decide. We don't know when he will return. So to reject Jesus and the peace that he offers through his sacrifice is to be like Jerusalem who would not be gathered under the protective wings of Jesus. To reject Jesus and the peace that he offers is to be left in the city waiting for the destruction that is coming. But there's an alternative. There is an alternative. What did Moses say? See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. We can choose life. If we have chosen life, if we have been called to salvation through the Holy Spirit, if we are saying that we believe Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has brought us peace, then we can't let those rocks take our job. We should be people who praise our God. Are you one of these people who praise God for what he has done for you? I want to ask you this question. How are you praising God? What is it in your life that praises God? If this life of praise seems far away, this notion of being one in the crowd praising Jesus for the works that he has done, then I want to invite you to praise him. If you are in Christ, if you have placed your faith in Jesus for salvation, then no matter what is going on in life, one thing remains. His love through Jesus Christ poured out for you on the cross so that you might have peace with God. There is always something to praise God for if you are in Christ Jesus. Amen, church? If you are following Jesus, then you have been called to be a person of praise. So how are you praising the Lord today? Are you praising him with your voice as you sing Making a joyful noise to the Lord? Man, some of you guys, you don't even know the gift you've been given in your beautiful, melodious voices. Kat says anyone can sing. I'm not so sure. She says it's true. 
But man, we can make a joyful noise to the Lord as we declare his praises. But we can praise his name by other ways too, right? We can praise his name by walking in his ways. Remember what we learned as, as we went through uh, the story of David last summer and King Saul? What does Samuel tell David? To obey is better than sacrifice. We can sing a life of praise by following in his ways. I think the other thing that's interesting is we look through the New Testament, through the gospel stories, one thing that people do is they tell other people about the good things that Jesus has done. One thing we can do to praise his name is tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? If it is good news, will you share it? We can praise his name by sharing the good news of Jesus. Church, we need to remember that choosing life through belief in Jesus is an opportunity to walk in a life of praise to the one who brought us peace with God. So think about what Jesus has done. Think about his mighty works. Think about the mighty work of his salvation. Think of all the reasons we have to praise his name. And today, decide to be a person who praises the name of Jesus. Amen? Would you guys pray with me? Lord, you are good. Your mighty works are plentiful. Lord, we thank you that you have made a way for us to have peace with God. Lord, help us to remember that on our dark days, to remember that on days that aren't going well. Help us, Lord, not to trust in the things of men. Help us, Lord, not to look for the approval of men. Help us, Lord, not to find comfort in the things of this world, but to remember who you are and that all else will fade away. But one thing remains, that is our hope of salvation in you. Help us, Lord, to praise your name. Lord, be with those who are here today who, who may not know you, who have not put their faith in you yet, who may want everybody else to be quiet. Lord, help them to understand that they, they need your salvation, that you have made a way. Call them to yourself. Lord, lead them in repentance. Call them to you that they might believe and have hope in you for eternal life. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, the altar's open as we sing. You may need to come and do business with the Lord and, and maybe repent of some sin in your life that's kept you, kept you from praising his name. Maybe, maybe what you need to do today is stand in your pew and praise his name in singing. But maybe you're here today and you think, I don't know how to praise because I don't have peace with God. And you want to know more about what it is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. I, I would love to talk with you about who Jesus is, what he has done, and how he has made a way for you to know the Father. However the Lord is working in your life, this is our time to respond as we sing.